jealousy. Colossians chapter 1. Three things I want you to get out of this message. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The importance of prayer, knowing God's will, and doing something about it. I think we're inundated with knowledge. I read a a study this week conducted by the researchers at the University of California, San Diego, and their study concluded that we are inundated every day with 34 gigabytes of information, a sufficient quantity to overload a laptop within a week. Do you wonder sometimes why you're worn out, why you're brain weary? It's because we are blasted with information. Here's the stat that startled me. Less than a half of a percent of data is analyzed and used. So we're inundated with data, but less than half of 1% is ever analyzed and actually used. I don't want that to be the case when you understand what God's will is for your life, and that's going to be the point of the message. So here's Paul. Let me read the passage, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So Paul says, for this reason. So you've got to ask, what reason are you talking about? Right before this, he's also told him he's praying for him. And he's finding out from Epaphras, the one who's made this long journey from Colossae to visit with Paul, that things are going well, that there are believers in Colossae. They're growing and they love Christ. They love one another. And Paul said, because of that, for this reason, I have not ceased to pray for you. Since the day I've heard from Epaphras, I haven't ceased to pray for you and to ask Paul says, I'm literally every day begging, asking, imploring God. And then he's going to say what he's imploring them for. But I think it's significant to understand Paul had never been to Colossae. The church was started by Epaphras, short for Epaphroditus. In fact, his name meant Mr. Handsome. Do we have any Epaphrases in here? Casey raised his hand. Man, how do you feel about that? (laughs) This emoji. But what did, what did Epaphras tell him? Well, he had told him enough to know that there's good things happening in the church, but there's bad things happening in Colossae. Colossae had been this thriving town that was in decline. It wasn't the city it used to be. Paul apparently had never been there, but Epaphras had started a church. Epaphras was probably a convert and certainly a disciple of the Apostle Paul. And so what Paul's hearing is things are going well in the church, but there's a danger coming, and it is false teaching, heresy happening. And keep in mind, where was Paul when he wrote the letter to the Colossians, to the uh, Colossi, church in Colossae? He's in jail. I think that just escapes our notice sometimes. Most of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote from jail, and I never hear Paul saying, hey, one thing, get me out of here. Bake me a cake with a file in it. Pay somebody off. Get me out of here. I never hear Paul say that. Paul does say things like, I long to see you again. I hope to see you at some point. But Paul is in jail, sometimes chained to a Roman guard. But he's thinking about this church, and when he thinks about them, he prays for them. I want to be obedient this morning. When I was preparing this, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind, and I think this was from God, is why don't we pray for churches more than we do? 
So we're going to pray for a church this morning. And the one God's laid on my heart is the church in India. I was there about three years ago, became friends with a guy we call the Apostle Paul. His name's MK. And MK is a minister that has an organization that's reaching people for the cause of Christ. There's, there, it's not uncommon for him to, to set a goal in two weeks. In two weeks' time, he's going to share Christ with a million people, all the people within his organization. They'll baptize sometimes 100,000 people in two weeks. They are begging for help. MK says that they're having about 400,000 new cases of the coronavirus, over 10,000 deaths every day, and the video he sent me is disturbing because they don't know what to do with the bodies that are passing away. I saw a field of cremation happening in India. So I want to pray for India. It may be that God's laid on your heart your own church or a church that you're aware of, so I'm going to be quiet for a minute and let you pray. Let's pray for the church, whether it's in India or church that you're familiar with, just that God would, would bless them today, that God would give their pastor the word, that he would preach it with clarity and conviction and boldness and preach the truth. And then I'm going to close this. So I'm going to be quiet for just a moment as you pray, and then we'll get back to the message. Lord, you hear the prayers of your people, regardless of what church or groups of churches they're praying for. Today, God, I just feel convicted that we should pray for the church in India, for the believers, for ministers who are many of them coming down with the virus themselves, for doctors and nurses who, who themselves are getting the virus, for all the deaths which indicate families that are suffering loss and grief. And Lord, I pray specifically for MK, Lord, just... I believe he's already had the virus. I pray you keep him from getting it again. And, Lord, for his organization that he is crying out for help for, Lord, would you provide for their every need? Or would you bring an end to this virus, not just in India but across the world? Lord, please, we beseech you. Because, God, you're a God of mercy. You're a God who does heal. So, Lord, I pray that there would be hope even for the dire situation in India, Lord, would they look up and come to faith in Christ because they are helpless and hopeless without you. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul says, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of God and his will. Filled. Literally means full. It means to cram full like a fishing net. Filled. Why does Paul want them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Because they are being inundated with other stuff. Listen, if you get filled with God's will, there's not room for anything else. So the false teachers, the heresies, the heretics that were teaching contrary doctrine, not only were they teaching contrary doctrine, they were taking shots at the doctrine that was being taught in the church. Jesus isn't enough. You've got to add something to it. It's fine if you come to faith in Christ, but you need to add this, that, or the other thing. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But Paul is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. It's a strengthened, the word knowledge is a strengthened form of the word knowledge to indicate a deeper understanding of God and his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Two words, the more general of the word is wisdom. It's, it embraces the whole range of mental facilities or faculties 
and understanding is more specific. The false teaching was filled with error, but if you get God's wisdom, there's no room for other. Listen, we, we kind of go through life sometimes saying ignorance is bliss. In this case, it's not. We need to know God's will, and we need to act on it. Three thoughts I had about how are you going to be filled with the will of God. First of all, you've got to want it. And one way you've got to want it is you've got to recognize you don't have it. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask from God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to them. So you've got to acknowledge, God, I don't have your will. I don't know your will. I want to grow in that. In fact, Paul later in this passage talks about you'll still grow in the knowledge of his will. But you have to desire it. And, and one question, don't raise your hand, do you want to know God's will? If you're a child of God, you ought to want to know what God's will is for your life. You've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, listen, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. So it's aided by the Holy Spirit. You want to know God's will? Pray and ask him, God, show me your will. Here's the question. Once he begins showing you his will, what are you going to do about it? So you have to desire it. You have to depend on the Holy Spirit and study God's word. We've got his word written for us, 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament. The deeper your understanding of this comes, the more you're going to understand God's character and God's will. So it's a worthy prayer, and then he moves to a worthy walk. I love the fact he said, for this reason also, now he says, so that. We're about to get the reason Paul's praying is so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You hear that in the Apostle Paul, he says, as you walk, and that sounds complicated, and yet you all walked in here. I'm walking around the stage, and I didn't have to think, am I going left foot first or right foot first? It's part of my normal daily life, and that's what Paul's saying. That your normal daily life, the way you conduct your life, the way you go about life, the way you live would be worthy of the Lord. Now, how is that possible? There's nothing I can do, it seems to me, that's worthy to earn God's love and, and forgiveness. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about corresponding to. And so because of what Christ has done for you, because of what Christ has done in your life, live your life corresponding to that. And then he gives some ways to know you're doing that. These are indications of knowing God's will and living in a manner worthy of him. First of all, that you would please him in all respects. Listen, God's pleased with you because you're his child. This is not about you earning his smile. This is not about earning his favor. This is about your grace that you've been saved. But because of that, corresponding to that, we live our lives in a way that would please him in all respects. Number two, that you would bear fruit in every good work, literally to be fertile in everything you do. Where are we bearing fruit? Well, we do it through acts of worship and praise. We do it through acts of service. We do it by our own growth and maturity as we study and read God's word ourselves. And then Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's a checkup we need to take every now and then. Am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, one way is fruit's being born. I'm seeing God active in my life. And then you get to Galatians 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is... The evidence of the Spirit in you, the evidence that you're living for Christ is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus, in the upper room discourse right before he was crucified, said to the disciples in John 15, 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So Paul says you're living a manner worthy of the Lord if you please him, if you bear fruit. 
again, remember, this is fruit of a relationship with God, not the root. Fruit. Fruit grows on trees that have roots. You can go find an apple tree that gives you the best apples in the world, but as soon as you cut the apple tree roots off, you can go plant it wherever you want to. It's not going to grow apples anymore because the root's gone. And I think sometimes we hear a message like this when we walk out saying, okay, i got to try harder. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be filled with his knowledge, but by his strength you accomplish what he's called you to do. So please him, bearing fruit in every good work, and then increasing in the knowledge of God. See the word increasing, it means it's ongoing. It means you don't just get a, an email one day with all the instructions in it. It's that you are continuing to understand what God's will is, and you're growing, you're increasing, like rain and sunshine is to plants. So is the knowledge of God's will to your growth. So we're increasing in the knowledge of God, and then we're strengthened. It's that Greek word that we get the word dynamite from. And I, I think at times I look at Christians and I say, where's the dynamite power? And I think it's because we're doing this in our own strength. We're, we're determined we're going to please God by our own efforts. It's impossible. It's only through his strength and his power. So strengthened with all power. See the word all? Where does that come from? It comes from God. So this is how you do it. It's his power at work, not ours. Hopefully that frees you up. Hopefully that you understand the grace of God, his mercy, that if I'm going to live a life worthy of the Lord, that's a huge task. Even that statement itself blows me away. That Paul would say that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He says it other places. In Ephesians, he says that you would walk in a manner worthy of your calling. If I'm going to do that, it's not because I strain, <laughs> God, I'm going to do it. It's because I surrender myself to his lordship. I determine his will, and I simply act on what God shows me to do. But it's his strength, it's his power that works within me. You don't just get this initial push from God. It's a continual push. It's a continual strength. It's a continual energy. So how do you do that, just practically? How do we stay plugged into the power source? Well, we do it through things like this. We go to church. We go to where the Bible's being taught. We study the Word of God for ourselves. We're part of small groups. We're part of worship and prayer. So Paul says, I'm praying this for you, that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and then he details what that manner, what it looks like to walk in a manner of the worthy of the Lord, how to stay plugged in. And then last, there's a worthy result. This is good news for the attaining of. So Paul says, if you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you're going to be filled with his knowledge, you're going to be filled with his power that comes only from him. And then there's five things. For all steadfastness. The word steadfastness means cheerful endurance, constancy, waiting. Nobody ever prays for patience or steadfastness, do we? Because we don't want to wait for anything. But Paul's saying this is a result of you living the life that God wants you to live, that you'll walk with steadfastness. It's a quality of a steady progression toward a goal and, and a vision that God's given you to accomplish. And then he uses the word patience. Why does he use both of them? Because they're a little different. The word patience means forbearance, fortitude, long-suffering. In the face of provocation, you're patient. You're not looking for revenge. You let God take care of that. In fact, it's demonstrated, it's illustrated by Jesus' death on the cross. You remember what Jesus said when he's being crucified on the cross? One of the first things that comes out of his mouth is what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus was God of all power. Jesus could have wiped out that whole part of the world. 
but he didn't because he demonstrated obedience, he demonstrated patience. And then the word joy. So not only steadfast and patient, but joyously, joy. This isn't a teeth-grinding, this is, it comes out of the joy of your heart. You serve God because of the joy. That's why Jesus came to earth. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. But he did it for you. He did it for me. Joyously. One of my favorite little signs I saw in a bookstore was, joy is not the absence of sorrow, it's the presence of God. So I want to ask you, are you walking in joy these days? Are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling, worthy of the Lord, and are you doing it with joy, or has it become a burden and a labor? Listen to me. If you feel weighed down by that, you're not doing it in his strength, you're doing it in your strength. If you give up your strength and do it in his strength, you can do it with a smile on your face and joy in your heart because the presence of God is active and working within your life. So it's joyous. Then giving thanks to the Father. Another, another indication that we're living a life worthy of the Lord and li- worthy of our calling is we're giving thanks to the Father. Why is it that too often in our prayer life we ask for things that we never thank God for the answer? It helps to keep a prayer journal so that every now and then you can go back and look at, hey, I've been praying for that. And maybe you pray for it for weeks or months or years. And God answers the prayer. Do we come back to God and say, God, thank you? Some of you have prayed for years for the salvation of a son or daughter or the health of a loved one. And God answers the prayer. He may not answer it the way you asked it. But he answered your prayer and you knew it was answered by God. How quick are we to thank God? So Paul says, giving thanks to the Father. And then here's where it gets real good. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He's qualified, literally. He's enabled us. He's made us sufficient. God has brought us to a place where we are now qualified. Again, is it by my effort? Is it because God said, Robert's done enough. He's qualified now to to receive an inheritance. No. The day I come to faith in Christ, I am qualified, not because of me, but because of Jesus. And because of that, I'm qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. In fact, the word is present tense. It means here and now. It doesn't just mean we have an inheritance waiting on us in heaven, which we do. But that heaven, heavenly inheritance is ours now. We don't see it yet. We haven't taken full possession of it. But if you're salvation, if you've come to faith in Christ, you've already begun the inheritance here on earth. It happened the day you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So he's qualified us to share, to have a portion in an inheritance. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever inherited something? You typically inherit something, something from a relative who has died and left you something as an inheritance. Jesus Christ's death on the cross earned us the inheritance that is ours the day we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. Make that appropriate and applicable to your life. To thank God at times, God, thank you for an inheritance that is mine in heaven. The Bible says you become a joint heir with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. What would that look like? Joint heir with Christ? You've got everything applied to your life that he has to his life. When God the Father looks at you because of your faith in Christ, he now sees Jesus and his righteousness. We don't deserve any of that. Some people may feel like they deserve an inheritance from a loved one that's passed away. Why? Well, I was his son. I was his daughter. I was her daughter. Kind of reminds me of the rich or the um, parable of the prodigal son. That guy thought he deserved something just because of the fact he had been born. 
Well, we deserve something only because we've been born again. So he has qualified us to share in his inheritance. First thing we inherit is eternal life. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus speaking. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's the promise of God. You'll inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And one day, as a child of God, you're going to reign with Jesus over the earth in the millennial kingdom. You also inherit the promises of God, Hebrews 6, 12. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And you inherit the promises of the saints in light. Mentioned that last week. Paul's already used the word saints. What does saint mean? Saint's not somebody that's done a couple of things that some church comes in and says, well, you're now a saint. You became a saint the day you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you go to heaven, you're not an angel. God doesn't need another angel. He didn't call you home because he needed another angel. The angels were created. All the angels that are ever going to be have been created. They serve God in heaven. You're a saint. I asked last night, for, last night, last Sunday, I said, look at your husband, your wife, and say, hey, I'm a saint. Well, I got some great comments going out the door disputing that by some of the, some of the wives or husbands. But it's not up to them. It's up to God. He's declared you're a saint if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. The saints of light, of light, separated from the world and separated unto God. And then the last thought, God's given us a guarantee. We have been qualified to share in his inheritance, and he's given us a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Same author, Paul, speaking. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You catch that? That's the sealing by the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So what's Paul prayed for the the Colossian Christians. He's prayed that they would know God's will and that they would do it, live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me be personal a minute. I was preparing this message and even thinking this week, sometimes I mow the grass. I didn't do that this week, but sometimes I just put headphones on and don't be distracted by anything else and just think, what does that look like, God, to know your will? And the truth is, we know God's will. We may not know it fully and completely, but we know enough to take the next step. If you don't, then ask him, God, what is your will? Not just your will, but what's your will for my life? What am I called to do? I believe there's somebody here this morning that you are struggling. You know God's will. You're struggling surrendering to it. If God's shown you what his plan for your life is, if God showed you to do this or to say that or to make this effort, my question for you is, are you going to obey it? We don't need to be like the data that I mentioned at the beginning of the message that we're only using a half a percent. You don't need to know God's will if you're not going to do God's will. So as God reveals even a small amount of what his will is, obediently surrender, obey, do that. And I believe as we do that, God trusts us with more of his will. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me.